That's exactly right. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Job chapter uh, 23. Job chapter 23. Now we're going to be looking at a couple of uh, chapters. We're going to start in Job chapter 23, but we're going to wind up looking at a few verses in chapter 40 as well as in chapter 42. So uh, if you find chapter 23, just kind of put a marker there and uh, you can also look up 40 and 42. But in uh, chapter 23, verse 1 through 17, I'm be reading 17 verses, bear with me. What I want to talk to you about this morning is uh, tried by fire. Tried by fire. I know that we have so many people in our church. Uh, there are several that come to mind immediately. Um, when we talk about people that are going through trials and uh, tribulations and heartache and suffering, of course, right now for the, to the forefront was because uh, of the latest tragedy in our, our midst is, of course, Matt Maroon and his family. And uh, they've been going, boy, uh, the book of Job just comes to mind when I think of their family right now. Of course, Miss Tanja has uh, just lost her father a few months ago. And uh, now Matt has lost his his mom. And um, I think of Miss Lauren that has uh, had a trial that she was going through with that baby not gaining weight and we were all praying for her and thank the Lord that Miss Annie is up and growing and getting fat as a little butterball now but boy there for a while it was kind of touch and go and and uh, and then uh, of course I I can't help but remember uh, my brother sitting here with us this morning hadn't been that long ago that you lost your wife brother and uh, this family has just been going going through the ringer amen and uh Matt, I'm sorry, yeah, Matt, of course, with the cancer, and uh, he's been going through that for, boy, a, a year and uh, two or three months, and, and uh, then I think of Miss Diana, and we, we have just so many that have gone through so much tragedy in our, in our midst, and uh, so as I was studying for this and, and came up with the title, you know, Tried by Fire. And we know what the trying is, the trial of our faith. Uh, God, sometimes, we, you know, we, we have a bad habit as humanity. Maybe not us as individuals, maybe not you as an individual or a person, but as a general rule of thumb in mankind, people look at, and even in Job's life, boy, he had some friends that uh, came and drug him over the coals because, well, if you're going through something like you're going through, certainly it's your fault. You must have done something that, uh, that caused this to happen in your life. And my friend, I want you to realize something. That is not always true. Sometimes it is true. Now, I, I, when something goes on in my life, the very first thing I do is put myself under the microscope, amen, and I look and examine my heart in my life and find out, you know, if, if this thing is taking place because of something that I have done or something that I have not done that I should have done. But certainly that's not the case in so many people's lives. Sometimes it's just like Job. The Bible says he was a perfect and upright man. Now, I do understand that that's tongue-in-cheek. I believe that uh, Job looked at himself as a perfect and upright man, one that loved God and hated evil. And uh, 
when Satan came to God and, and uh, God asked him, where, where, where you been? What are you doing here? He says, well, I've been walking to and fro across the earth seeking whom I may devour. He says, well, have you run across my servant Job? He's a perfect and upright man, one that loves me and hates evil. And he says, yeah, I've checked him out. But if you tear down that wall you got around him and let me to him, then he'd cuss you to your face. God says, well, okay, we'll see about that. Do you think God already knew what the outcome of that was going to be? Certainly. Why do you think He unleashed Satan in his life then? Because there was something that God was after in that man's life that would purify him, that would strengthen him, that would make him more pure, more refined in his faith than he even was at the time. We find Job here in chapter 23 though, trying to correct himself, having to correct him. Why do you have to correct himself? Because every time a friend would come, and there were three of them, and they took turns, they tag-teamed Job. And one would take a shot at him, and Job would answer him. And another one would come and take a shot at him, and Job would, would answer him. And it was the third one. And then the first one would come back. And it was just one after another. They were relentless. And Job kept telling them, listen, now you're accusing me of sin, some heinous sin in my life, and I'm telling you that there is none. There's nothing that I've done that is worthy of this in my life. May I say, every one of us have things that are worthy in our lives that should draw the wrath of God. You've heard me say, and I, I stole this quote from Vody, uh, Bachman, God should have murdered all of us in our sleep last night for what we did yesterday. And that's the honest truth. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And we sin, and that on a daily basis. And by the way, the wage of sin is still death. We deserve so much worse than what it is that God has given us. I am so thankful for the grace of God, the mercy of God in all of our hearts, in all of our lives, in all of our families. God is gracious and merciful. But here, Job has been telling these three guys over and over and over, sin in others, this I see, but thank the Lord, there's none in me, and I'm telling you that I'm alright. But here in this chapter, we find him having to kind of go back on some of that and correct himself just a little. Now we're going to look at verse four, uh, chapter 40 and chapter 42 and he absolutely does a complete 100% turnaround. A 390. He turns completely around on what it is that he's been saying. But here in verse 1 it reads like this. Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. So what Job is saying is, boy, I wish I could get to the throne of God. I wish I could get to the very seat of God. I would throw myself before his feet at his throne. I would order my case. In other words, I would plea my case before him. I still think that I'm innocent before God. And all my mouth with arguments, I would debate with God. I would know the words which He would answer me. In other words, I'd ask Him. I want to answer for, for the things that I have laid out before you and understand what He would say unto me. Will He plead against me with His great power? 
No, but He would put strength in me. There the righteous might dispute with Him. So should I be delivered forever from my judge. Behold, I go forward, but He is not there. I go backwards, but I can't perceive Him. On the left hand, where where He doth work, but I cannot behold Him. He hideth Himself on the right hand that I cannot see Him. What Job is saying is I go forward, I go backwards, I turn to the left, I turn to the right. Everywhere I seek God, He's nowhere to be found. I'm praying, I'm pleading my case, but I'm pleading it before an empty bench. There is no judge there to hear my plea. And in verse 10, He says this, And I'm going to camp out here in a little while just in this one verse. It says, But He knoweth my way that I take. When He hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Do you understand what Job is saying there? Job is saying, well, you see, I don't don't really see my sin. I don't know of anything that I have done that is worthy of what it is that I'm going through. I've lost my children. I've lost my family. I've lost my wealth. I've lost my health. I've lost my possessions. I have lost everything in this world. And there's nothing that I can think of that I have done that is worthy of this. But I know that there is no unrighteousness in God. And that if you know he doeth all things well, he maketh no mistake. And if he's allowing me to go through this, then he has a purpose for it. And I know that when I am tried, when I am sent through the refiner's fire, that I'm going to come out of this on the other side better than I was when I went in. Now, my friend, if we can get our mind wrapped around that then no matter what the future holds, then we know who holds the future. We know who is in control of our lives, our raisings up and our settings down, and everything in between. He is in control of our life. And we can trust Him because, well, because we love Him. And because we only love Him because He first loved us. And now in verse 11 it says, My foot hath, hath held His steps, His way have I kept and not declined. Now you know, some people think they're okay with God when they're not walking with God. They're not living for God. They're not trying to be faithful to God. But I'm telling you that this man, Job, was a man that was after God's own heart. Now when God said that about David, I was astounded. I was astounded. Why? Because David, my word, David makes me look good. I mean, he had committed adultery. He had committed murder. He had numbered his army and put his faith and confidence in the flesh rather than in the arm of God. He had done so many things. And yet God loved him and counted his love for God as righteousness. Remember, that is what the Bible says about Abraham. Abraham believed God and his faith was counted as righteousness. Well, I I just have to say that the only way that God could look at David and say he is a man after mine own heart, is because in David's heart, he really did love the Lord. And he really did strive against the flesh. He failed, don't we all? But he he strived to be what God wanted him to be. Verse 12 says this, Neither have I gone back from, from the commandment of his lips, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. 
I love the Word of God and the commandments of God more than I want my next meal, my next breath, my next heartbeat. Verse 13 says, But He is in one mind, and who can turn Him? He's already made up His mind what He's going to do in my life. Do you know that that is true about every one of us? God has already made up His mind. He knows what tomorrow holds for you. You don't know. I know who holds tomorrow. But I do not know what tomorrow holds in my life. But I do know that it is in the hand of God that loves me and gave Himself for me and that I can trust Him no matter what it is that goes on in my life. But He is of one mind and who can turn Him. And what His soul desireth, even that He doeth. For He performeth the thing that is appointed for me. And many such things are with Him. Therefore, am I troubled at His presence when I consider I'm afraid of Him. For God maketh my heart soft and the Almighty troubleth me because I was not cut off from before the darkness. Neither hath He covered the darkness from my face. My friend, I realize that it is God that everything that comes into my life comes from the hand of God. He is in control. Now I want to look at chapter 40 and 42 for just one second. I'm going to read just a couple of verses out of these two chapters. And you pay attention. Because after, after Job's friends show up and grill him over and over and over and over, and he continues to say no, 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 and would not submit to being accused of sin, all of a sudden God shows up. And in chapter 40 and verse 1 through 5, it says this, Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that condemneth or contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? Hey, Job, are you going to give me instruction? Are you actually going to question my authority and my power in your life? Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I'm vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. I realize who you are, Lord. And I know that I opened my big mouth once already too many times. And I'm just going to hold my peace. Boy, I remember last week talking about Moses' nephew Aaron uh, that did the same thing when his sons were killed for lighting uh, you know, the, the strange fire under the sacrifice. And the fire leashed out and killed Aaron's sons. And Aaron was standing there watching God take his sons away from him. And at that very moment, I'm sure that his heart was shattered in his chest. And yet the Bible says, and Aaron held his peace. He shut his mouth and he didn't say a word. Where you look at the next verses in 42, verse 1 through 6, after God speaks to him again, and Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything. And that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that 
hideth counsel without knowledge. Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I, I knew not. Here, I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will, I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. In other words, Job is, is gathered up just a little gumption. And he's got one more thing to say to God. And he says this, Lord, up till now, all I have known about you is what I've heard. But now, but now I will demand of thee and declare unto thee, up till now I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye hath seen thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself. I hate myself. And I repent in dust and ashes. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. My friend, I want you to turn back to Job 23 and to that verse 10 that we looked at that says, But He knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You see, he knoweth my way. He knoweth my way. He, God. You see, what I, I want to realize are three great truths here that Job reveals or unclothes or uncovers in this one verse about the sovereignty of God. And about being tried. God trying us. God sending us through the fire. First of all, we realize that there is divine knowledge in what it is that we are suffering. What it is that we are going for, through. When it says that He, I emphasize the word He, He knoweth my way or the way that I take. In other words, I turned left, I turned right, I went forward, I went backwards. I have a free will. I get to do what I want to do. And God is on His throne in heaven. And He is not only watching me, but I want you to realize that it's God that directeth our steps. It is God that moves in our hearts and causes us to go through trials and tribulations. He's the one that is manipulating even Satan in Job's life right now. God is having His will in His way. And we can realize, first of all, that God is not outside of the picture. God is inside. You see, some people say, well, God is kind of like you know the computer. He's outside of what it is that He created. The man who created the computer, He's not in the computer. But I want you to realize something, that God is not only outside of His creation, He's larger than anything He ever created, but He is also inside what it is that's going on in our lives. Why? Because He is the architect. Because He is the uh, conductor of everything that has taken place in our hearts, our homes, our families, in our lives. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said this, one of the greatest tests of experimental religion is what is my relationship to the omniscience, the omni Science. You know what omniscience or omniscience is. Omniscience. Omni is all. Science is knowledge. So we're talking about the omniscience. God knowing 
everything that is going to ever take place on this earth. How does God's omniscience affect you? My friend, do you ever even think that certainly God hears me? God, God not only hears my prayer and answers my prayer and, and says either yes, no, or wait. Now we know that some people don't like the no or wait. We want a yes to all of the prayers that we come to God for. But some of, of God's greatest answers are no and wait. Why? Because He knows what the outcome is going to be. There is no scenario that takes place on the earth and the outcome that is going to come from all of those different activities that we get to make up our minds and to choose about that God doesn't already know how that is going to affect us. And when we ask ourselves, not only do we realize that God hears and answers our prayers, but do we know that God is going to, to answer our prayer? He hears and answers our prayers. He hears our prayers before we ever pray them. And He knows what the outcomes of those things are going to be in our life. Does it give you comfort or does it make you kind of antsy a little bit? Kind of worried? Well, God is watching me. God is not only watching me in everything that I do, everything that I say, every place that I go, everything that I think, but God already knows ahead of time all of those things. Boy, I like that because I know that no, no matter what I have done in the past, no what I've done in, in the present, no matter what I'm going to do in the future, everything was in the future back when Christ was on the cross. Everything in my life when He loved me and He gave Himself for me. When He died for me. See, that brings peace to people who love the Lord and comfort, understanding the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. But those who do not know God, those who don't love Him, have not surrendered their hearts and their lives to Him. You see, that brings them a little bit of, not comfort, but discomfort to their hearts and their lives. And they rebel against the omniscience of God. They shrink from the thought of God knowing all about your way. Remember what the verse said, that He knoweth the way that I take. But it's not only that He knoweth the way that I take when I take it, but He knew the way that I take before I ever took the first step. And I am thankful for the divine knowledge of God. Men don't know the way Job Took. They, they, didn't, they didn't understand you know, his lot in life. They, they didn't know the turns that he made or the choices that he made or the reasons that he made all of those things in his life. They, they thought that he, he was this you know, great sinner, these, these friends of his. And they figured that, well, he had made a bunch of bad choices in his life, and now God, you know, he was reaping what he sowed. And whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap, is what the Bible teaches. And, and we say, well, if something's going bad in a person's life, then obviously they have done wrong, they have done bad, and God is giving them bad for bad. But we do understand that that is not always the truth. As we said earlier, Job really didn't know the way that he took for himself in a broad sense, the way that we don't. You know, we, we live life minute by minute, day by day, week by week, month by month, but God is outside of that. And He knows everything from the beginning to the end of our life. And yet He still loves us. That absolutely blows my mind that God could love me in spite of me. 
Jeremiah 10.23 says this, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man that walketh to direct his own steps. Though we may not understand it, it's foolish to deny it. Do you realize that? That we don't understand how it is that God moves in our hearts and in our lives that causes us to move and to, to flow. You know, it's like the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that He He goeth wherever He listeth. He does whatever He wills in the hearts and the minds and the lives of human beings. Do we realize that God is the exact same way? It's better to agree with the wise man that wrote Proverbs chapter 20. In verse 24, he said this, Man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? You see, if, if I stumbled, if I falter, if I failed, did not God allow that to take place in my life? To Him who is able to keep you from falling, did you know that that's a verse? That God is able to hold us up? to keep us from stumbling. God allows us to go through trials and tribulations, heartache and suffering. And I'm telling you that that does not take away from the, from the holiness or the goodness of God. That He doeth all things well and all things work together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to His purpose. So we realize that when we are being tried by fire, we are being tried by God. God is allowing us to go through that fire and He has a purpose and a will behind it which is a good purpose and a good will not only for His glory and His honor but for us. Secondly, we not only see the divine knowledge of God in everything that we go through, but we see the divine testing. It's because He not only said this in verse 10, He said, He knoweth the way that I take. You look at that verse 10. But He knoweth the way that I take. And then He says this, When He hath tried me, well, wait a minute, when He hath tried me, you do understand what that trial is. It's not the dangling of the bread to call somebody to sin and to wind up falling out of God's grace. No, this is not the temptation to sin, but this is the testing of the metal. That is the trying that God does in our hearts and in our lives. Proverbs 17.3 tells us this, The fining pot is for the silver. Okay? And the furnace is for the gold. Alright? But the Lord trieth the heart. You see, sending us through, what do you call it? The fining pot? Or the fire that you would send gold through? That's not going to, to do it for us. We don't need a pot and we don't need a fire. We need a God we need a God that loves us, that can turn the heat up in our lives, not in a physical way of a fire, literal fire, the way you would go, but can turn the heat up in our lives under pressure, that can send us through trials and tribulations and heartache and suffering, that burns away dross in our life that no fire on this earth could ever touch. We need God in our lives. That was God's way. With the nation of Israel. And by the way, that is God's way with His people in the church today. In some way, 
God led the children of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years to humble them and to prove them. We don't understand how that came to pass that God could lead a people around out in circles and circles and circles. Just the, the walk from where they were in Egypt to where they wanted to go in the promised land would have only taken them a matter of days. But God led them around out in the wilderness for 40 years until all of those that were from 20 years old and up that had left Egypt died in the wilderness. Their bones still bleaching in the sun. But I'll tell you what, God did a work in their heart. Those that were left that crossed over that river Jordan into the promised land after all of those millions of people that came out of Egypt died in that wilderness. There was a work done in their heart that nothing else could have ever touched other than what they saw in that wilderness. My friend, we need the wilderness in our lives. We need the valleys. We need to go through the trials and the tribulation in our lives that only God can provide. The more we realize that, the stronger we are through the afflictions and the sufferings that await us in the future. Every time God sends us through a desert, we become stronger to the next one and able to overcome. The Bible says, when He hath tried me, why, why do people blame the devil for what's going on? You know, the devil. The devil did that. The devil attacked Job. The devil attacked me. The devil is coming against me. Well, if he is, then listen, it's only because God let him off of his leash. He allowed him to come into your heart, into your home, into your family, into your life, into your business, into your health, into whatever it is that you're going through. I'm telling you that God may use the devil. Certainly, the devil may have a hand in it. But it is only at the behest of God Almighty. We know that God is in control of our lives. We need to look and to learn from the past. We need to look really past secondary causes. Well, you know, it was that, it was that freeze. It was the rain that fell and the cold that happened and the freeze that came that tore up my house that caused all of this. God... Listen, do you think God's not involved in every detail of your life? See, we look at the secondary causes rather than the initiator of the causes. That it is God that is on His throne that rules and reigns from heaven and He moves in our hearts, in our homes, in our lives, and in our family. It is He who works all things after the counsel of His own will is what Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11 says. In chapter 1, did, did Job, let me ask you a question, did Job blaspheme or, or curse the Sabaeans? Who, well, who were they? Well, it clearly says in verse 1 that it was the Sabaeans who had destroyed, they came and destroyed his herds. They killed all of his, his camels and his flocks. And did, did Job ever mention them? No. Did he blame the Chaldeans who slew his servants? No. Did he blame the wind that killed his children? Remember, there was a wind that came and blew the house down and killed all ten of his children in the house. The wife escaped it. Do you think God didn't have a hand in that? We say, oh, well, Satan left her so that you know he could use her against 
against Job. But do you think that even that was not part of God's master plan? Are we giving God, uh, Satan the glory? Did, did he blame the wind that killed his children? No. What was his response? Chapter 1 and verse 21 says this, The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Boy, I'll tell you what. You learn a lot about suffering from a man like Job. You learn a lot about God from a man like Job. You learn about who He really, really is. So many people paint a picture of God as this Santa Claus up in heaven that is just waiting for a window to open so He can pour out all of the blessings of heaven into your life and He wants what's really best for you and it's all you know cherries and, and milk and everything is, is good for those who know God. My friend, I want you to realize that Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. All of the disciples died in a horrid, horrid way. John was boiled in oil and the tough old bird wouldn't die and he was thrown out on an island called Patmos and left there to die. And we want to apply things like Jeremiah that God has a pleasant end in store for your life. Listen, I don't know what God's plan for my life is, but I do know this, that whatever it is is going to bring, bring glory and honor to Him. And that is all that counts. It does not matter what happens to this old body. It does not matter. Some people want to be burned. Some people want to be buried. Some people want to be cremated. It, does not, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Some people say, well, is this righteous? Is this holy? Is this good? Is this godly? Whatever, whatever God deems fit. You can tie me to a bumper of a truck and drag me till I'm gone. Now I know some people say, oh, that's, that's horrible. How can you say that from behind a pulpit? Because I'm telling you, what happens to my body is of no consequence. What happens to me in this life other than it bringing glory and honor to God is inconsequential. It doesn't matter. My life is here for His glory and His honor. You look at the last thing in that statement of verse 10. And you'll notice this. But He knoweth the way that I take. When He hath tried me. When He hath tried me. And then the last part says, I shall come forth as gold. Boy, there's the glory in my life. That no matter what it is that I suffer, that no matter what it is that I go through, that no matter what it is that the end of my life holds in store for me, I know that in the very end, I shall come forth as gold. Glory to God. Amen. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. There is no gold in me. If anything comes to good from me, it is only because of what God did in my life. And whatever He chooses to do is good. He doeth all things well. He maketh no mistake. Notice the tense that He uses here. I shall. 
Not that I am, present tense. Not that I was in the past, but one day in the sweet by and by, apple pie in the sky, one day when I die, I shall come forth as gold. Now Job, I believe, thought a little more highly of himself than he ought to. I think there was just a little speck of pride down in there that God was burning away. I may be wrong. And if so, Job, when I get there, I'll apologize. But right now, I don't think so. God doesn't do things for nothing. He was burning something out of Job's life. But I don't think that Job already thought that he was sinlessly perfect as gold gone through the refiner's fire. He knew that there was still a lot of dross left on the inside of him that needed to be taken away in that last chapter where we read it just a while ago. I abhor myself. When he saw God, he says, I've heard about you, Lord. And I thought that I was doing the things that you had commanded and the things that you wanted from me. I thought that we were good. I thought that we were okay. It kills my soul. When I asked him, how are you doing with God? Oh, me and God's good. My dad used to tell me that. How are you doing with how you doing with the Lord, Daddy? So we, we're good. Well, I knew. I knew better. I knew better. My friend, we need to recognize who we are. We need to understand who it is that God is. We need to realize that when we look at ourselves, we should abhor. We should hate ourselves with a holy hatred, with a righteous hatred. With a hatred that is so in love with God, so in love with the holiness of God that the little minute details of our life that are still unfinished, unperfected, should stand out like Mount St. Helen in our lives. We should try our best to get rid of it. Job didn't say, I may come forth as gold. I love that. He, he said with full assurance that I shall. There is no doubt in my heart or in my mind what God is doing in my life is for His glory and His honor. But ultimately, it is always for my good. It is for my best. And I can trust Him. No matter how bad things look on the outside, no matter how bad the circumstances look that I'm going through, that I know that God is on His throne and He's on the throne of my heart. And I've submitted every ounce, every inch, every fiber of my being to His will. And I'm, I'm just surrendering my life to Him. Two things are sure if you're a child of God. One, that you will go through the fiery furnaces of the testing and the refining of God in this life. There is no hope of you not going through those things. If, you're, if you consider yourself a child of God and you think that you're okay and you're good with God and there are no, no fires, there are no trials, going on ever in your life. You can't remember the last one that you've been through. My friend, that should horrify you. That should scare you. Because God promises if the world hates me, it's going to hate you. If it came against me, it's going to come against you. If things went wrong for the Son of God in this world, 
to the point that they absolutely beat him and scourged him and spit on him, plucked his beard out and nailed him to a cross. Why in the world do we think that everything in our lives is going to be a bowl of cherries? I'm telling you, number one is that you will go through the fiery furnace just as the children of Israel did in the Old Testament in Daniel's time. Secondly, God's love for His children is such that He's going to be in it with you. Just like those three children. That when they went through the fire and the king looked into the fiery furnace and he says, how many guys did we throw in that fire? And they said, well, we threw three in there, sir. And he says, well, then why is it that I see four walking around in the fire? One of them like unto the Son of God. Because one of them, sir, is the Son of God. And no matter what it is that He sends you through, He will not let you go through it alone. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. And I want Miss Diane, and I want Matt, and I want everybody that is going through heartache and trials and tribulations and suffering to realize that if you are a child of God, you are not alone. That He loves you. He died for you. And you can trust Him. No matter what, you can trust Him. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for this opportunity, God, just to be here in your house with your people. The most wonderful thing, God, in heaven, other than, than you, Lord, it's not going to be the golden streets. It's not going to be the golden harps. God, it's going to be the golden souls, Lord, that you have absolutely burned away all of the dross out of our lives. Taking away all of the wickedness, all of the sinfulness. You have purified unto Yourself of people. God, help us. Help us to relish. Help us to seek out the refiner's fires here in this life. God, that You might be glorified. That we might be edified and strengthened. That others, seeing the awesome of God might be terrified of your wrath. God will give you the praise and the glory for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to ask you to take a hymn.